You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hey, everyone. If you like this podcast, you should check out the full finance journey at realvision.com slash rvpod to get the full view of what Real Vision is all about. A video on-demand platform you can watch anywhere. Our members get daily videos and analysis, plus access to more than 3,000 videos for beginners and experienced investors alike, and live events online. You'll join the most thoughtful community in finance. More than 300,000 people who trust Real Vision to be the anchor to truth in the financial world. To get started, visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code PODCAST10 to get 10% off our essential membership for your first year. Enjoy the show. Will the U.S. inflation data out this week show prices moderating or does the Fed have more work to do? Hi, everyone. Welcome to The Daily Briefing. Real Vision's global markets editor, Weston Nakamura, and Dave Floyd, founder of Aspen Trading, are both here with us today to walk us through what to expect and what part of the markets we should be paying the most attention to. Hi, gentlemen. Hey, good afternoon, Maggie. How are you? Good. Yes, that's right. Weston's joining us day ahead, really, which uh, double trouble for us today, which is awesome. But we're going to need all of your help because it feels like and Weston, let's start with you, because I want to focus on inflation on the data for a minute, because we did see U.S. Uh, the yield on the U.S. Treasury back off slightly. But it just kind of feels like we're in this holding pattern and everything or so much, at least, is going to hinge on the CPI release on Wednesday. What are you watching? Watching the CPI release on Wednesday. Um, <laughs> so basically, um, you know, as of this most recent FOMC, Jay Powell ditched this practice of forward guidance and said that we are going to be uh, month by month, meeting by meeting, and we're going to be data dependent. What that means is that when there are major data releases like CPI on Wednesday, those are now the new FOMC press conferences. Because he's not going to apparently do that anymore at press conferences, and he's going to be data dependent. So we have an FOMC press conference coming up at, at, on Wednesday morning uh, Eastern uh, via CPI. Uh, what I'm watching, and I, I sit, every time I'm here with you, I some kind of sound like a broken record saying it's ad nauseum, but the yen, specifically USDJPY, and the significance of that, because that the yen is a Fed trade or a policy divergence trade, so... BOJ holds yields firmly capped via yield curve control, and therefore JGB yields are static. And then when the Fed is perceived to be hawkish and U.S. yields rise while JGB stay put, then the U.S.-Japan yield spread widens, dollar yen rises, or the yen gets shorted, and vice versa. When the Fed is perceived as dovish um, or behaving more in line with BOJ on you know permanent punch bowl easing, then it flips to policy convergence, yield spread narrows, and dollar yen falls. And so the, the, the dollar yen cross rate really is like, I mean, not, nothing's very pure, but it's the most pure sort of reading that you can get uh, of a broader market reaction from something like CPI or whatever it may be, or any of the other data points that came across recently. Yeah. Weston, is this trade as crowded as it was? Because I know a little bit ago we saw, you know, a, a reversal and it was just like a, a crazy move because so many people were on the same side of the trade. 
Um, I know mm. that's why you've been watching it really closely. Um, is, is, is it still that magnet or, or do we still have it really crowded? Yeah, that's a great question. So, uh, Brian, can I put up chart up uh, chart one? So this is this chart is basically this is just simply um, yen futures from CME um, with the volume as well, and then I've overlaid in the blue shaded area dollar yen, um, you know, spot rate just for for reference sake. But to answer your question, Maggie, the answer is no, not as crowded because mm. the short squeeze uh, that you could see basically you could see um, you know July FOMC that's when the short squeeze really took hold then a day after that you have us gdp which came in to record you know two straight quarters of negative growth and therefore a you know technical recession therefore dovish fed yen gets short covered and then it gets basically short covered all the way up but then you get something like a strong you know us ism uh services pmi and then you get like uh you know the the july F- uh, i'm sorry the july non-farm payrolls print from last friday both of which are you know, signal a stronger economy, therefore a more hawkish potential Fed, and then the yen gets shorted again. So it, the sum of that did get cleared out, that very crowded short position, but then it's could very well start to get, you know, put back on again. But yeah. by and large, it is still very, very, very crowded, though. So, it, so you you have been you have been rightly all over this um, because it is where all this market action has been centered. And um, you've been putting out videos and and through that conversation, we've had a lot of questions from the community and from viewers about, okay, so if this this is a a, a Fed play, basically, how can someone put on a trade? What are the best vehicles for doing that? Does it have to be in Forex? A lot of questions as people try to understand this. So um, I know you're you're putting out a whole addition kind of responding to those questions, but w- what's your thinking around that right now? Yeah, so uh, I'm actually working on um, a, a video about that um, because you know, I mean, real vision. Like we, this is a two way conversation, you know. So this is not just like me putting stuff out. So this is basically in response to somebody who asked this question of like, okay, so you know, great, great info on price action and all that kind of thing. How do I actually trade this? Mm-hmm. Um, and with and he said without you know um, options and, and futures and, and and listed derivatives. Um, he asked about like the the ET, like the yen ETFs. Um, and so what I great question is, by the way, great question a, to ask. It, it's a really fantastic question because it seems like a really simple question, but it's not. Um, there are many ways to do it, and there are many ways uh, that you know I, that I basically uh, you know put together in the video um, that that are kind of unconventional ways to have uh, directional exposure to the yen. So, for example, um, so, Brian, if you could put up chart two, um, this is just an example from the video. This is kind of one of the like unconventional ways to do it. This is without even touching a Forex trading account or anything like that. Right. Um, What you can do is you can do a long, short market neutral pair. What that means is that you short something, you take those proceeds, and you buy uh, your long position. So you are cash outlay is zero. So essentially, it's you know you're not you don't it's a very capital you know non intensive trade uh, to put on. And what you do is there are two ETFs listed in the U.S. Uh, one of them is EWJ, uh, that is you know the largest Japan index ETF, and then the other one is DXJ, which is uh, currency hedged ETF. Now they're not the same exact makeup, but more or less they're the same. Um, and so if you look on uh, this chart too, you'll see that EWJ is basically, you know, more or less flat for the year while uh, DXJ, the um, or uh, uh, 
uh, DXJ is uh, flat for the year. EWJ is down significantly. Um, that's the um, FX non-hedged one. Uh, Brian chart uh, three, if you go to that, um, this is just the topics index. So if you want to see like, oh, well, you know, it's a makeup or whatever, this is what like more or less like a broader index of, of Japan stocks looks like. And then the uh, next chart, chart four, finally, what the difference obviously between those two, the green and the red is the currency. One is FX hedge, one is not. So if you're long, uh, if you're long short, you know, the uh, DX, DXJ and EWJ. So you're, you're basically shorting EWJ using those proceeds to buy DXJ. Um, and so your market neutral pair. That ratio, that pair trade matches up pretty much exactly with dollar yen in terms of percent for percent price action. And you're doing so, again, without any capital outlay um, and you're not even touching the yen because essentially what you're doing is you're neutralizing the long shorts, neutralizing the equity long and short part of it and just leaving you with this currency hedge part. So this is just one example of the way, you know, in my video of ways that you can actually uh, actually trade dollar yen. Um, to you know, and more, more, more to come. Uh, I'm, I'm amazing. Thank you for giving us a little teaser. Now you know why uh, Weston's our markets editor, and I, the guy loves a good challenge. So keep those questions coming. <laughs> before, before you go, Weston, I want to ask you a question about SoftBank because they were out with. Oh God. <laughs> a, a, yeah, uh, uh, this is horrible. I mean, out with another huge loss. What is going on here? How can this? How can they keep sustaining these massive? I mean, certainly no, they're not the only one, by the way. But how can they keep sustaining these massive losses? Is there going to be fallout, or is this coming to a head anytime soon? I mean, th this is not a surprise. Everyone knows what they're long, um, and so we could have we saw this coming from a mile away. What I think is kind of honestly is kind of um, uh, I'll just say straight up, this is a terrible decision um, from Masayoshi Son's part. Is all right, fine. If you want to go long, you know, leverage long stock uh, tech stocks at the all time highs, fine. You, you do that. If you want to sell the lows, you can do that as well. If you want to like fire some of your 300 employees of the Vision Fund to cut back on expenses while, you know, authorizing a 600 billion yen uh, buyback at the same time, that doesn't sit right with me. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot to be a lot of questions surrounding softbank. Um, it is not a single stock earnings thing, though. This is a broader sort of thing, obviously. And so I would keep an eye on softbank. I will know, however, the last I think it was three quarters. They missed terribly on earnings and the stock uh, rallied double digits the next day. So probably get that happening in a few hours from now on the short cover. Wow. So, All right, Weston, as usual, thank you so much. Can't wait to see that video. And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much. Thanks. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. So, Dave, come on into this conversation. And um, it's it's really interesting. And I know that um, as a sort of technical trading strategy guy yourself, I'm sure that you were loving some of the things that that uh, Weston was pointing out. But um, I'm interested in how you're setting up because we've got this big inflation number. We've seen big market moves, you know, after that, especially if, as Weston says, this is kind of the same thing as a as a Powell you know, press conference, everyone is is sort of waiting to jump on this thing. So as as somebody who looks at the market through that lens, how are you preparing for this? Well, thanks for having me back, Maggie. Um, yeah, it was a really interesting conversation early on there. Um, you know, in terms of preparation, I think, you know, in, in the show notes that I sent over to you earlier, 
I mean, there's a million ways you can cut it. You can look at the inflation data as to what it has been, what it might be. But the thing that we never know is what's the market reaction going to be? And that's that's really the hard thing. Mm-hmm. And as much of, a, you know, even the people at the most sophisticated level in terms of analyzing, you know, macro developments, meaning the release of the CPI on Wednesday, it's always hard to know what the market's going to do, how it's going to react. You know, so for me, I try to keep it really simple, which is, you know, um, looking at price levels that if broken would suggest that the market's going the other way, or even at a more simplistic level, if you look at what the markets have been doing for the last two, three weeks, all the dips are being bought. And I'm referring mainly to the S&P and stocks in general. So, you know, until something proves otherwise, um, you know, stocks look pretty firm. Now, I will say today, they did close below 4150, which I had as a kind of a level that was 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 key for this week. Now, it's a very minor break. We've only closed five or six points below that. But that was after kind of ripping out of the gate early on. We went from like 4140 all the way up to 4180 and then right back down. So, you know, the jury's out. But I think to, to, to put a bow on the answer to your question is that right now stocks look bid. And until that proves otherwise, I think trying to outguess what the CPI report might do to that I think is basically a, a, a binary outcome that I don't think traders want to be putting on because there's no inherent edge right there. Yeah, that's so interesting, Dave. And I think that's what a lot of people are kind of torturing themselves trying to do is game game the reaction. So mm-hmm. if you're looking at your charts as sort of a roadmap or looking mm-hmm. for signals in it, uh, what and you've seen this one little signal flare for you about closing you know, below that level today. Yep. And how do you approach it from this? If you're trying to sort of, you know, you're, 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 it sounds like you're saying the market has a bias and a bid right now. So it seems like it has support. What else are you going to look for to see whether that, that has changed? Well, it, it really just goes back to what most traders should be doing on a day-to-day basis, which is gauging how the market reacts throughout the day. What is it doing? And, you know, again, if we look at the last two to three weeks, I, I, I indicated that if you looked at all the dips intraday, they all got bought. Didn't matter what the news was on that day. Didn't matter how crappy the news was or how good the news was. Sometimes the moves were counter to what the news was, meaning that the prices sold off on the news and then rallied back. And people who were like, well, that, that means they're going to raise rates more. And that's really bad for stocks. Well, the market's telling you they don't care. Market's moving higher. So what I'll be looking for now is 41.50 now is the inflection point for me. We closed below there, although futures haven't technically closed yet. They're they're open for about another 45 minutes. But if we close below 41.50, that's going to be my inflection point. If prices manage to stay below there, meaning we get rallies into that level and they get sold off, that's going to start to change the tone. And that's not me having to guess or have a theory or analyze the news flow. That's just me looking at prices. It's telling me sellers are stronger at 41.50. They can't seem, the buyers can't seem to get above that. Then as we go into Wednesday, you know, maybe that 41.50 level is still in play. Maybe it's been resolved. Nobody knows. Um, But that's when you have to start looking at technical levels again. You know, what are some levels that are above and below where we are right now that if those get broken, that tells you that the market's either bullish or bearish. And again, I know that sounds overly simplistic, 
But that's all we can know as traders. And that's without trying to over theorize and over speculate on things. And, you know, maybe that's maybe a little bit more applicable to me since I tend to be a little bit more shorter term trading. Mm -hmm. But I don't really think that's the case. I think the market will leave you clues if you're paying attention. It will it will indicate if it's kind of, you know, has a bid or if, it, if the market's feeling offered. No, I think it's it's a it's a great point to bring up right now because we are all asking a lot of sentiment questions. So let me pose this one to you. Mm -hmm. Does it matter to you whether this is a bear market rally or not? Not really. Um, yeah. I mean, it it matters from the standpoint of we had a big sell off at the beginning of the year and we've we've only partially re partially retraced that. So does it matter that it's a bear market rally? Not really. To me, I'm just saying this is a rally within a contextual downtrend, meaning the downtrend since the beginning of the year. So does that lead me to believe that at some point we might have another leg lower? Yeah, of course. But I'm not trying to factor that in. I'm not trying to find levels to sell into because, again, recent history is telling me that selling rallies is not working, that everybody's buying the dips. And until proven otherwise, you have to kind of go in with that. Now, eventually you might get your hand slapped. You buy that dip one last time and you get your hand slapped. But if you've been selling rallies over the last couple of weeks, you've been steamrolled. And most yep. people that have been selling rallies is because the Fed's going to have to raise again. They're going to have to raise again. That's negative for stocks. Well, logically, yeah, that makes sense. That's finance 101. But the market's doing something different and the market's always right. That is so interesting. So this is a great question from Bo on the RV site. Um, I'm, I'm reading about retail craziness, FOMO, meme stocks again, <coughs> traders baffled. I don't buy it, but I'm more concerned with what you think uh, about the recent price action, Dave. So you've been laying out some levels you're looking at, but can you address that other level that I think is confusing people? Because we do see this kind of what you might call froth too mm -hmm. in certain parts of the market. How do you, how do you, what do you do with information like that? Or again, is that just something that you put to the side as noise? Uh, no, it's not noise. Um, and a lot of it comes from experience. I've been at this, you know, 25 years. These, these phases that the market goes through, whether it be bullish or bearish, they always last longer than you think because everybody's looking at these meme stocks and going, this is insane. Again, everybody's looking at it logically. How can AMC be rallying? It's still losing money. Well, if you want to get paid for arguments, you're in the wrong business. You need to be an attorney because that's where you get paid to argue. Um, so I factor that in from the standpoint of it'll probably last longer than we think. But then when the market starts to look is not look, <clears throat> pardon me, if the when the market starts to um, look, not look, but actually act weak, breaking support levels like we did today. And then if it can't get back through that. Then I take that argument and say, okay, we know we got a lot of froth on the way up. That's probably going to add some firepower as we now move back lower. So that's how I would factor that in. Right, right. Great point. So <laughs> I cough. I'm just getting over a, a weird 48 hour cold in the middle of the summer. I have no idea. Yeah. I mean, listen, we're, I think our, all of our immune systems are probably back to baby stage because we were locked away for two years. So exactly. you know, anything, anything hits us and we're felled. Um, I, I feel you, Dave. Uh, so if, um, if we, if we see, are you looking at cryptocurrencies as, as sort of risk on, is it, is it grouped together? Or are they, 
are the charts saying they're behaving differently now? Because we have, you know, in the past, there was a strong correlation with the NASDAQ or with tech stocks. Mm -hmm. um, so is that, does that correlation still hold or how are you thinking about cryptocurrencies here? Well, I'll answer that question just with a little bit of a disclaimer. It's, it, you know, crypto is not my day-to-day -day focus. I do keep a very broad view on them for, for our clients, but, you know, I'm not going to be the go-to guy, but I can be the go-to guy from a technical perspective. And right now what we're seeing is that the crypto seems to be kind of catching up with this rally in the S&Ps. Um, mm -hmm. It's dead for a while. It's just kind of moving sideways and it, and it finally broke higher. I would say that I only look at two. I look at Bitcoin and Ethereum. And I would say that right now, Ethereum is probably the one that's the most interesting because it's about to break above about 1800, which is what I have. Even though 1800 is a naturally a round number that everybody looks like, I've actually got a level that's coming in right at that, at that uh, point. So I think if we can hold above 1800, you know, is it possible we could go to 2300, which is the next level I have up on my chart here? Yeah, it's possible. But again, We'll take it one step at a time, but they do look pretty bad. There's no doubt about it. Um, beyond that, again, if we go back below 1800, give or take, or, you know, certainly below 1630, I think is what that level is. Of course, I need my glasses. Hold on. Um, if we go back below, I'm sorry, 1670 on Ethereum, then that bull case is kind of tossed aside, at least in, in my view. But right now, if the stocks remain bid, I would I would think crypto continues to move higher. It's, um, you have to also look at it from the standpoint of breaking out of a, of a you know kind of a sideways range after a bunch of carnage. You're going to get those speculators back in there thinking that the game is restarting, which it probably isn't, but maybe on a very short time frame it is. Yeah, and while we're talking time frame, I think you alluded to this, Dave, but you you will do a lot of day trades and go home, like not carry that trade overnight. Is that still your main, is that how you would describe your time horizon still, or is it a little bit longer? What are we talking about for the types of trades that you're putting on? Well, it depends on the asset class. Um, you know, for, for 10 year notes and, and currencies, you know, those are swing trades. I could be in those many days, maybe a week or two S and P 500. I may have a swing trade on from, uh, from time to time, but, those tend to be the shorter term trades, the S&P futures, you know, the day trades. Like I'm going home flat tonight in the S&Ps, as I do most nights. Um, but I, on other occasions, I will put in a separate account, I'll have, you know, swing trades in the S&Ps to try to take advantage of what I perceive as longer term moves. And, you know, it's a great question. And I think you have to take that into context. But I think what's consistent in what I talk about is that Price levels are price, you know, price levels are price levels regardless of your time frame. If you're looking at Ethereum three months out versus let's say next week, 1800 is still a relatively important level, regardless of your time frame. It's just a question of, oh, that might represent a really solid entry for me. Or if I'm a shorter term trader, it's like, oh, cool, I can maybe make some hay with that for the next week or so. So Prices are time frame agnostic. It's what you want to do with it, it relative to your risk tolerance, your temperament, all that stuff. Yeah. And that's where the sizing for your risk comes in and is really, yeah. really important part of the discipline that I know you talk about, um, as do others on the academy, which is we're, we're really trying to sort of fill that in in mm -hmm. this uncertain time and kind of, you know, learn from the past. What about FX pairs? We, we, we uh, heard Weston talking all about the yen. Mm -hmm. um, what, what are you watching uh, on the foreign exchange side of things? 
Well, it's, it's, it's getting a little quiet. I mean, dollar yen and let's say CAD yen, which is the other one I follow, they're pretty active and we all know about that. Um, you know, the, the froth is out of dollar yen. We've definitely pulled back off the highs, whether or not, but now it's a difficult trade because the party's over. Now you can be looking to buy pullbacks, but we don't know if the party's going to begin again, you know, and until prices find a way to start moving higher and hold, you know, start, stop taking out lower lows. It's really hard to say, Oh, dollar yen's going to rip higher again and go back towards 140. So to me, this is the, you know, the quote unquote easy money was made over the last month or so, two months. Um, it's a little bit harder now. Um, the trade I like right now most in FX is something where I can lean on what's happening in the S&Ps and then what's happening technically in, in this case, the Australian dollar. So I'll pull that chart up right here because from a technical or from a market relationship, market correlation perspective, the Australian dollar and the New Zealand dollar tend to be what they call risk on currency. So if you have a vibrant S&P market, you tend to get the S&P, you tend to get the Aussie dollar and the New Zealand dollar kind of following along. It's, it's imperfect at times, but that's generally what's happening. So if we stay in a kind of a bid market in the S&Ps, if you look at the, S um, the chart of the Australian dollar right here, you know, basically, if we get above 69.90 and can hold it, then I think we track higher. Now, we have to have the S&Ps doing the same thing. I don't want to do that trade independent of what the S&Ps doing. So let's say on Wednesday, the CPI number comes out and for whatever reason, the market doesn't like it. I don't want to be holding long Aussie dollar positions. But if we get them moving in tandem and everybody's falling in love with stocks again, I think the Aussie dollar makes a whole lot of sense, at least in terms of the FX space. New Zealand dollar, I could make the same argument, but it's not at a technical level right yet that would indicate or that would suggest as a catalyst to drive it higher. And that's the key thing. You have to have a catalyst in terms of price action to drive prices higher or lower, depending on what side of the market you're playing. Yeah. Uh, how it's interesting that you're you're um, connecting or you're watching the S&P for signals for the Aussie dollar. What about commodities? You know, I don't track commodities all that much. I mean, I'm aware of obviously what's happening in the oil market because you, you kind of have to be because it yeah. does have an impact. Um, but by and large, I don't follow commodities very closely. So, you know, I, I can't really give a deep dive on what I'd be doing there. Yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, most people think of Australia as a you know commodity exporter. They benefit from higher commodity prices. I'm not sure as many people are watching the relationship with the S&P 500. So that's very interesting if they if they track each other. That's a, a sort of another signal for people to watch for. Yeah. And again, it's, it, you know, like all correlations, they ebb and flow. Sometimes they're very strong. Sometimes they're not. And you're absolutely right about the, um, the commodity correlation to the Australian dollar. Again, it's, I'm not saying it doesn't exist and I'm not saying I don't factor it in, but I'm not doing a lot of exhaustive um, technical work on oil and iron ore and, and yeah. gold um, that would add a little bit more color. I'm, I'm finding that just the technical levels in the Aussie dollar, as well as the overall risk on or risk off environment, that tends to be enough of a gauge for me to, to navigate in and out of the Aussie dollar. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads.
Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. When I, I, I forgot to ask you this when we were talking about ETH. So you, you're looking at levels, but what do you do with something as big as like the upcoming merge, like a news event like that? How do you use that with your charts? What, what kind of role does that play? Is that the, the catalyst that you were just talking about, something like that? And you're referring to Wednesday's numbers where you're referring no, to? No. So in Ethereum, right, everyone's con- oh. everyone's talking about this big merge that's coming as, you know, a fundamental thing in that space. I'm just oh. wondering how you how you look at, you know, how do you identify the catalyst, basically, in any asset class that you're in? Well, the cat. Well, the catalysts are usually kind of after the fact. It's like, well, the earnings were good, and of course, everybody will make up a reason as to why prices moved higher, but nobody could articulate ahead of time consistently why prices were going to move higher. Mm. So I don't. Again, I'm not even familiar with that particular storyline that you're referring to. It kind of it, it it doesn't make me. It makes me sound a little bit ignorant of the facts. But sometimes I think that if we get too deep in the woods we lose sight of, of what's in front of us. Um, you know, there's a great uh, colleague of mine, uh, Jawad Meehan, who's, who did work for Real Vision many years ago and wrote some great pieces. He does a lot of work or he does a lot of writing on just trying to stay present with what's happening in the market as opposed mm-hmm. to trying to get your ego in there and have an opinion. And, and I'm, it's a roundabout way of answering your question. I think if people just stay focused on what prices are doing or let's say not doing, you'll see the catalyst. You'll see prices take out a level and you'll see that prices don't retest that level. That's bullish or vice versa. That would be bearish. Whether or not the news uh, news cycle happened to be the catalyst, okay, I could make that argument. But what kept me in the trade was the fact that price levels broke above or broke below and held that level because trying to argue interpret what the news item is going to mean to the market at large, that's an impossible task that you can't survey every market participant and, and know what they're going to make of, of the release. Yeah. No, I think that's that's really important for two reasons. First of all, there's more information available to us than ever before. So you have a million, right, you have a million narratives coming at you. Yep. And especially in a moment the moment we're living in right now, I think what we hear from so many is that they're contradictory. You have one person give a very credible, you know, thought or analysis. And then two minutes later, somebody has the complete opposite side. And we're hearing this right now a lot. So it's very confusing to people if you're trying to make a decision based on that. Oh, absolutely. And and both arguments can be incredibly well um, thought and can make a, a, a tremendous amount of sense. And I and that's fine. If you want to play it, play the game that way, that's totally cool. And there's people who do that. I just find that a lot more challenging. Um, I find it much easier to kind of let the market kind of guide me into the trades. And I know that sounds overly simplistic, but you know what? Trading at its core is not overly complex. You have to have a framework as to what what brings you into a trade, but then you let the market tell you, okay, we're gonna go above this level. And you make the assumption that we will continue to move in that direction. Again, overly simplistic. And the other thing, too, is, you know, as we head into the last two weeks of summer, because I believe that after the CPI report, we've had the Fed meeting out of the way. We're going to get the CPI report out of the way. Last two weeks of August tend to be historically dead. It is okay for, and I'm going to be away on vacation. And if we 
kind of peter out after Wednesday's uh, move, it's okay to look at the, your screens and say, you know what, I don't know where prices are going to go. That That's an okay conclusion to draw, but you can trade off of that. You can you can sell a straddle if you wanted to get something very basic and you know sell an options position. And as long as prices don't move above the defined range that you're looking at, which would be fairly wide, therefore having a low probability of being taken out, that options position will just simply decay with each day um, due, to, due to theta, due to time decay. So we're always talking about, are you bullish or bearish? But we can also say that from time to time, I don't know, and you can express a trade that way. Again, I'm not saying that that's necessarily easier or better. It's the right tool at the right time. And I, that's something I will be looking to do for sure. I've done that a lot in the recent past when we get into consolidation phases. You're just like, I don't know which way we're going to break. So I'll just say, I don't know. I'll put on a, a straddle and I'll, I'll collect the premium and let it decay. If, if prices kind of go continue to go sideways, it's, it's a winning trade. That's amazing. I love what both you and Weston did for us is, is um, provide some other ways to think about how to set yourself up in this environment and ways to ground yourself thinking about other trades that may not be that obvious. Um, so I think this is such great information for people. And this is part of why Dave is part of our academy. If you want to dig a little deeper into some of these strategies and what he uses and how he works with technicals, I encourage you to go check it out. And we also have a, a section on options um, because a lot of people feel a little uncomfortable. If you haven't had exposure, you can sort of walk through some of the some of the ideas there. But we need kind of all of these tools in our arsenal, don't we, Dave, if we're going to make it through. Absolutely. Absolutely. Fantastic stuff. Dave, thank you so much for being with us. Enjoy your time off. I think we're all going to need to to come into this fall with as much energy and clarity as we can because it, it there's so much going on. Yeah. It should be a good fall. I'm, at least that's what I'm hoping. Yeah, that's what that's what we're all talking about here. So thank you so much. We're going to be back the same time tomorrow. Andreas Denel Larson is going to be hosting Marco Papich, which should be a fascinating discussion all about the markets and geopolitics, which we know is another big uh, driving force that we have to pay attention to in addition to some of the economic data coming out. So be sure to check that out. In the meantime, take care and good luck out there. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.